Welcome to the Minor Consult, where I speak to the leaders shaping our world in diverse ways. Today, I'm joined by Fiji Simo, CEO of Instacart. Fiji is an accomplished executive in the tech industry with a vision for transforming how we access our food. She came up through the ranks of Meta, most recently as one of the most powerful women at Facebook, heading their flagship Facebook app. Over the past 15 years, she has led operations, strategy, and product development for some of the world's leading businesses. I'm delighted to welcome her to the Minor Consult to discuss her path from France to Silicon Valley, her experience overseeing one of the world's largest social media apps, and her vision for improving our nation's relationship with food through online grocery delivery. Fiji, welcome. It's great to have you here today. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Fiji, let's start with your background. You grew up in France, and your father, grandfather, and great-grandfather were all fishermen. You were the first in your family to graduate from high school. How did this family history influence your career aspirations and your approach to your career? Well, you know, one thing that my family very much taught me is uh, to work very hard. I, I, uh, I grew up seeing my dad wake up every day at 2 a.m. to go fishing and come back at 8 p.m. with, you know, fish scales all over his body. Uh, and it really taught me that work ethic is everything. Uh, it also really taught me to respect uh, this incredibly noble job of feeding the world. And I think people who are involved in, in feeding other people uh, have this extreme pride about what they do. And so that carried me uh, kind of throughout my career, including in my current job at Instacart. Wonderful. And from the start, you worked in big tech, starting at eBay and then rising through the ranks of Facebook. Before taking the help of Instacart in 2021, you were leading the Facebook app. What attracted you to the tech industry and what lessons did you learn as a leader at Facebook that you brought to your new role at Instacart? Well, as you said, you know, the path from a small fishing village in, in France to Silicon Valley wasn't entirely a straight, straight path, but I was always very attracted by technology because it was kind of the opposite of the industry I grew up in. And, uh, and I wanted to stretch myself and discover new horizons. And so, uh, my first job in technology was at eBay. And the thing I always say that I am a pragmatic technologist. I don't get enamored with technology for the sake of technology. Uh, I love technology that solves real people problems. And when you look at my career, like, you know, first at eBay was all about connecting people around commerce and the passion that they had. Uh, and it was a very inspiring mission. Then with Facebook, all around connecting people so that they can, uh, you know, have more deeper social relationships in their lives. And now Instacart is all about, you know, empowering people with giving them access to the food they love and, and more time to enjoy it together. And so uh, technology for me is really a means to an end, but it's an incredible tool uh, to realize the missions of, of these great companies. And you ask, you know, what did I learn at Facebook? Um, you know, I think... I think Facebook taught me uh, sort of uh, one very important thing, which is to 
always have a very, very long term view. I was very uh, fortunate to work for Mark Zuckerberg directly for many years, and he always managed to balance out this very long term mission orientation with also great short-term execution because you never get to your long-term view if you don't execute really well in the short term. And so that combination is something that I definitely took with me in this new job. Before becoming CEO at Instacart, you'd already been on the board of directors of Instacart. And what was it about the company that made you want to be a part of it? So it's so interesting because, you know, as soon as I joined the board, I obviously had no idea that I was going to be asked to be CEO a couple of months later. But um, what I saw was a company that was so much more than just online grocery delivery. Um, I saw a company that was fundamentally at the heart of the relationships that people have with the food they love. And, um, and for me, I already knew that food was so much more than sustenance. Food is how we celebrate. Food is how we show love. You know, when you show up to my grandma's house, she welcomes you with a plate of pasta. <laughs> and, uh, and all of these, all of these things revolve around food. Food is culture. Food is health. And when you have a company like Instacart where people come every week to, uh, go to this app and basically express all of the things that they uh, need to buy to feed their family, there's so much more that you can do with that. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the vision that we embarked on after I became CEO. But for me, the opportunity was massive because the product was beloved and because it was at the heart of something so critical for the world, which is, you know, the relationships that people have with, with the food they eat. Absolutely. And, and when you took over at Instacart, it was following a tremendous boom during the pandemic. And what was your vision for the company's next phase to continue growth when families no longer had to rely upon Instacart or other services as they certainly had to do during the lockdown? You know, it was so interesting because everyone uh, had this question, right? Like, is Instacart just a pandemic, darling? Is it just a fad? Or is it going to be a really sustainable uh, company and service? And the reality is that when you take a step back and you look at uh, the grocery industry, it's like trillion dollar category uh, and yet like largest category of commerce and yet it's the least penetrated online it was three percent penetrated online before covid now it's ten percent penetrated online but when you look at every other categories of commerce whether it's electronics beauty etc we're talking 20 to 25 or even 30 percent penetration online and so there's no reason why groceries wouldn't get to this level so even though the pandemic was a massive accelerator we're still in the early innings of that industry. And so my job is really to uh, build all of the technologies that can power this digital transformation. And a lot of what I brought to the table is this idea of partnering deeply with the thousand uh, grocer partners that we have to uh, give them the tools so that they can make this digital transformation and serve their customers either on Instacart or even on their own properties uh, and serve them better during this transition. To follow up on that point, I know you have been a leader and an advocate for the responsible application of AI and other uh, related uh, deep learning uh, methods to large databases. And of course, 
uh, as you just described, shopping and how we acquire our food, um, particularly now that more of it is being done on online, thanks to Instacart, um, you, you have access to the data and to study the patterns and to therefore apply um, AI in a meaningful way that helps people uh, connect with their food. Can you talk about where we are today in that evolution and also the future that you see and, um, and the opportunities that you see at Instacart? Absolutely. So if you look at the Instacart business today, it's already powered by AI at every step. When you enter you know, a product in the search box, we surface the results based on what we think is going to be most relevant. We make product recommendations based on what we think is most relevant. When your shopper is in the store and the product is out of stock, we rely on billions of data points to suggest the best possible replacement that's going to be appropriate for what you're trying to cook. Uh, so AI already powers every part of our business. But the big shift that we're seeing now with generative AI is that we're going to be able to answer people's questions in natural language. So let me give you a concrete example. Uh, one of the questions that every family asks every single day since the dawn of time is what's for dinner? <laughs> and that question seems really simple on the surface, right? But it's actually at the nexus of so many other questions like, what are our food preferences? What are our food allergies? Are we trying to eat healthier? What's our budget? Are we like preferring a certain diet? So you have to answer so many complicated questions as a family to feed your family every week. And up until now, if you look at, you know, commerce online, it was very restrictive because it's fundamentally a search box where you search products. But that means you have already had to answer all of these questions on your own. You have already had to decide which ingredients you're going to buy and come to Instacart and type them in a search box. Now, with the advent of generative AI, we're going to be able to help people with all of these other questions, uh, which are much more fundamental and help them make the most informed possible choices based on their taste. And so that's why you've seen us, you know, do a partnership with OpenAI and uh, not only use their technology inside this, the, the Instacart app, but also create a plugin so that if you go to ChatGPT right now and you ask, hey, I want ideas for a Mexican meal uh, tonight, you can get a recipe and then you can order it in just one tap uh, using Instacart. That's fascinating. That's really going to transform the way we think about what's for dinner, isn't it? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Hopefully we can make that more enjoyable, more inspiring and move that from a chore and a utility to something that's actually an exciting part of uh, uh, family life. <laughs> well, you know, food plays such an important role, as you said, in, in family life and, and the ability to be able to connect family members in making decisions and um, and have the benefit of generative AI and helping to, to present some options that uh, that really has the opportunity to transform the relationship between individuals and families and food. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I, I think, you know, we, we recently rolled out a feature called family accounts where you can um, not only share your Instacart membership with, with someone uh, in your family, but you can shop together in the same cart. Um, and I'll tell you, it's a very popular feature, but it leads to plenty of very funny situations <laughs> where 
you're, you're shopping and all of us uh, all of a sudden you're like who added this bag of oreos to the cart <laughs> the guilty face of your husband like in the room next door and you're like oh okay i got it <laughs> and so uh yeah we we love figuring out like how to feed the whole family i also think you know uh thinking about children is really important because as you know better than anyone uh a lot of the health of all ch of children is determined by you know how we um uh, how we feed them when when they're home and so uh a lot of what we're thinking about is also this con concept of like multi-generational health and how do we train good habits uh you know in the earlier stages of of family life so that it translates to the kids as well so fiji also your company instacart employs more than or has more than 600,000 shoppers can you talk about the relationship that the company has with those shoppers and uh, maybe also weaving in this thread of generative ai what do you see about the future of how those relationships are developed uh, and extended through through what you're doing at Instacart? Yeah, absolutely. So shoppers are absolutely critical to our service. They're, they're literally the representation of our brands. And um, the thing that's really interesting about our shopper base is that it's 70% women, more than 50% of them are moms. And uh, this type of work is very different than other, you know, app-based work because you spend most of your time inside the store picking items to, to deliver to your customers. And a lot of it involves customer service because you are really having a conversation with your uh, between the, the customer and the shopper to figure out like the best um, the best solution if something is out of stock or, or something else. And so it, it attracts a very different demographic of people. I have personally spent a ton of time, uh, you know, as I ramped up talking to shoppers and I still do that every month where I talk to them one-on-one -on -one to really understand why they want that kind of work. And what we find consistently is that they want flexibility. They are uh, really, there's a range of situations for why they, they uh, take these jobs from, you know, I'm seeing a lot of um, uh, women who are taking care of aging parents who are trying to, you know, do this work a couple of hours a week when everything else is taken care of. Um, and, and so we, we uh, are really trying to give them as many opportunities as we can to earn on their own terms with the flexibility that they want, but also with the support that, that they uh, very much deserve. Uh, when you talk about the, the role of AI there, uh, the way I think of, of um, AI and generative AI is that it is going to really help uh, make a lot of the um, repetitive tasks and, and things like that much um, easier and support people in, in, these, uh, in these jobs. So to give you a concrete example, through AI, we can do a much better job telling our shoppers that the best path to pick, you know, these 10 items in the store is actually to start with this and go to that next one. And that's based again on billions of trips that our, our shoppers have taken. Um, and so, you know, this is, uh, this is an example of how we can make, you know, their work more efficient, more enjoyable, uh, and, and support them, uh, during, during these trips. Also, we, we live in challenging economic times across the board. Inflation has been disruptive across the entire economy, including the grocery industry. And how has inflation impacted consumer behavior in your business? 
and Instacart more broadly? Yeah, so grocery is one of the largest items on a family's budget. And so uh, definitely an item that's been very impacted by inflation recently. And what we've seen, which is interesting, is that um, families really shop kind of on a fixed budget for grocery. And so what happens when prices go up is that they don't fundamentally change their overall like basket but they just purchase fewer items and so in practice what that means is like they are just putting less food on the table um, and so everything that we're doing now has to do with really trying to figure out with what's in our control because we don't control prices retailers do with what's in our control how can we give people um access to to food in an affordable way and so that includes things like launching a deal stab so that they can uh, very easily discover all of the savings available in their grocery store. Uh, launching benefits for Instacart Plus, like, you know, if you use pickup on Instacart, you get a 5% cash back on your, um, on your uh, order. Uh, and that's a way to put uh, money into people's pockets. We have also uh, made it so that uh, people on lower income who are maybe receiving uh, government assistance can use these uh, food assistance dollars to purchase on Instacart. And that has been, you know, incredibly successful because these people are usually very time starved. They, they don't have access. They're trying to pack two jobs in one day. They don't always have access to uh, a car. And so the idea of like saving them that trip to the grocery store is really critical um, but using their, their government dollars for that is, is also very important. And there are a number of other initiatives that Instacart with your leadership has undertaken in, in the area of public health. So you just mentioned uh, taking payment from food assistance programs in 49 states uh, and you recently announced Instacart Health which focuses on food security and improving health through nutrition. Can you describe those initiatives a, a bit more for us and how do you envision them expanding and broadening in the future? Absolutely. So I think it's pretty clear at this point that America's health problem starts with a food problem. And that, mean, that means it starts in the kitchen. Uh, today, more than one in 10 Americans doesn't have reliable access to nutritious food. We have more than 100 million people in the U.S. suffering from diet-related disease. And as I said earlier, Instacart really is at the intersection of the relationship that people have with food and therefore at the intersection of the relationship that people have with their health. And so we started Instacart Health uh, to really deliver the ingredients for healthier living. And we have three areas where we think we can have the most impact. One is helping people access nutritious food. And so what that means is, you know, doing work so that uh, thanks to our delivery service, uh, we make it very easy to access uh, food and especially fresh food in under two hours. So to give you an example, uh, we actually, through Instacart, can reach 93% of food deserts uh, with fresh food in under two hours. So that's huge for accessibility. Another example is the work we just talked about of like making, uh, making it not only accessible, but affordable, because that's a big part of access as well. 
Uh, the second axis is making eating healthy easy, uh, you know, for a lot of people. Um, like this idea of eating healthy is something that they aspire to, but it's really hard. And so we're making it so that you can discover healthy recipes on Instacart. You can look at any product and find nutritional information so that you can make more informed choices. And we don't, you know, believe in like, you know, being the food police and telling you like, no, 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 need to eat your veggies. Uh, but we, we do believe in education and inspiration and, and hopefully, you know, helping you make, make these uh, better choices. And then the last axis is scaling food as medicine programs with the healthcare industry, which I'm really excited about because I think we're finally at a moment and, you know, thanks in, in part to your work, you've been an advocate for this work way before it was a thing, uh, um, thanks to your work. We're finally at a moment where I think the healthcare industry is realizing that they have a big role to play in uh, preventative care and therefore nutrition, uh, but really didn't have a platform by which they could scale these programs. And we see our job as being the technology platform by which uh, food as medicine programs can scale very efficiently across the country. Wonderful. And to follow up on that on those points just a bit. Um, last week, I believe uh, you were at the White House making a number of new Instacart health announcements, including a research commitment with our teams here at Stanford, for which we're very grateful. And thank you for that, Fiji. Can you tell us a bit more about where you hope um, this bringing in of research and supportive research by Instacart, how that will impact the broader healthcare ecosystem, and also how that fits into the, the long-range vision for building Instacart as a company. Absolutely. Um, I think we, we have a lot of data points now about the value of food as medicine um, for certain population. You know, if you look at um, population that fundamentally are food insecure, the corpus of data uh, that advocates to just give them food and show that it results in better health outcome and, you know, savings for payers as well is very robust. And that's why we're seeing a lot of engagement from, you know, Medicare plans to, to want to do that. However, I think we're still lacking some fundamental critical science behind, you know, what is exactly the right food intervention for each health condition. And so the research we're doing with Stanford, which I'm very grateful to you for, is uh, really centered around uh, colorectal cancer and this idea of trying to figure out what are the right food interventions at which moment to, um, you know, change the trajectory of the disease or help people who have survived that disease, like, you know, maintain their health. And, um, and so to me, like the research programs that we're starting with you, but also with, um, three other uh, research partners really is about building a corpus of data so that, uh, you know, we're not sitting here in 10 years debating again whether food should be uh, part of the standard of care of how we address these chronic conditions. But we have all the data the same way, uh, you know, if you're a doctor prescribing a medication, you know exactly like how, like what's the dose at, at which, uh, you know, moment it needs to be administered. We need to have the same thing for food. And that's the corpus of data that, that I hope to be with these research partnerships. Well, I just want to say I think that's so incredibly important. We have so little data today on uh, the relationship of, of, of dietary habits and of food with overall health conditions, and yet it is by far the most important general 
overlying feature in our health and well-being. Uh, it brings in the concept of the microbiome. There's so much important work to be done, and we're certainly honored to be partnering, partnering with you and your colleagues on, uh, on that work. Well, thank you. And, and I will add one thing which we did announce last week, which I think is really interesting, that we announced that uh, we can partner with pretty much any hospitals and, and health system to create uh, storefronts on, in, on Instacart for this health system to recommend a particular diet for a particular set of conditions. So imagine, you know, um, having, you know, a set of, set of patients that have diabetes and having a Stanford branded, you know, diabetes storefront on Instacart where patients can go and they can discover what, you know, a, a very uh, renowned institution is recommending for their diet. Uh, that has a lot of value because, you know, they're already on Instacart. We have all of the kind of daily consumer relationship, but we don't want to be in the business of being the ones making nutritional advice. That's not our job. If we partner with the healthcare system so that they're the ones providing that, like that's a really interesting, uh, you know, partnership. And we announced that we're, we're doing something like that with uh, Boston's children and uh, are, are really excited about, back, back to the point I was making earlier, you know, that it starts early and we need to do that for children. Uh, we're very excited about the work that we can do there to have the right interventions at the right time, especially at a moment where the healthcare industry is being asked to track social determinants of health and like we need to be providing solutions. If someone walks to the door of a hospital and is free insecure like there needs to be an intervention at that point that can really change the health trajectory of that person so through us uh, we can now provide that wonderful and Fiji I know your interest in health goes beyond your work at Instacart you also co-founded a medical and research center that focuses on diseases in which the immune system attacks the nervous system and this stems from a personal story can you tell us why you became interested in this area and what your goals for the center are Absolutely. Um, so about three years ago, I was uh, diagnosed with what we call a neuroimmune condition. So at the intersection of the nervous system and immune system, my condition is called POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which is a mouthful. <laughs> but I was uh, a totally healthy, uh, you know, uh, person. And then uh, very quickly after a surgery, my health started to uh, really deteriorate in ways that doctors wouldn't really understand. And what typically happens in these conditions is that the patient, especially sadly women, um, tend to have a very long diagnosis, diagnostic odyssey, um, sometimes lasting many, many years, bouncing around from specialist to specialist that are each looking at a very narrow part of what's going on with them, you know, like just looking at their heart, like in, for a cardiologist, just looking at their brain for a neurologist, when in fact these disorders, because the immune system and the nervous system affects the whole body, these, these disorders are, you know, system-wide. And so the idea behind Metrodora's um, uh, medical and research center that were, uh, we just opened in Salt Lake City is to bring all of the different specialties of medicine to work collaboratively under one roof and uh, really give patients a full picture of their health and a full picture of um, these conditions and come up with a plan that spans the gamut from you know neurology to cardiology, rheumatology, immunology, GI. Uh, and so that's, that's, you know, I think a much better way in which we're going to be able 
able to address these conditions. And then the second thing that's new is that we're not just breaking down silos between these medical specialties, but also breaking down silos between the doctors and the patients and the scientists. And we have a research lab fully embedded inside the clinic because when I, I got diagnosed with this condition, I started, you know, asking around uh, a bunch of researchers that were doing uh, research on this condition. And I realized that you either had uh, scientists dedicated full time to doing research on these conditions, but very often they had never met a patient with that condition. They had never met a doctor with that, or like treating patients with that condition. Or you had clinicians who were trying to do research in their spare time, but were mostly doing that on nights and weekends because they were seeing patients all the time. And so what we're trying to do is to have a focus on research where our scientists are like, you know, dedicated to these conditions, but interact every day with our doctors and our patients. And through that developed the world's largest, highest quality, uh, high density biobank uh, for patients with these conditions uh, so that we can power research, not just at our institute, but also at other academic institutions. That's going to be so impactful. And thank you for your vision in establishing uh, the Metrodora Institute. And of course, the Metrodora Institute is just one example of your leadership. When you left Facebook, now Meta, you were one of the highest ranking women executives. And now, of course, you're a CEO at one of the world's largest online grocery services. What's your advice for young women who aspire to leadership positions in the business and technology sectors? Great question. Um, you know, I think first off, it's, it's obvious advice. It's like, it's, you can do it. <laughs> uh, but, but also, um, I, I find that it's really important to be fairly stubborn about the destination, about your goals and your ambitions, but very flexible on the journey to get there. Um, you know, I, I, uh, if you look at my career, it took a lot of unexpected twists and turns uh, and all of them, you know, I couldn't have planned them in advance, but they were all delightful in getting me to a path that I couldn't necessarily have imagined for myself. But I had a very clear picture of the kind of woman I wanted to be at the very least. And um, and so I, I encourage women in particular to never give up on that aspiration, never give up on that dream, but be flexible on how to get there because they might surprise themselves. Wonderful. And Fiji, I want to end with two questions that I ask all my guests. First, what do you think are the most important qualities for a leader today? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, okay, I'll start with one or I'll think of, of another. Um, I think leaders are nothing without their teams. And um, and as a result, I think we, we live in a world where um, the, the capacity for leaders to really get the magic out of their teams is critical. And what I mean by that is that you need to have a very high bar. You need to raise the bar constantly, but you need to pair that with inspiration and compassion uh, so that you know people are motivated to, to continue raising that bar. Um, if you ask the people who work for me, they, they use that sentence sometimes where they say, she loves us dearly, but she pushes us greatly. <laughs> and and I, I, think, uh, I think that combo is really important. Uh, and and I, I, I aspire to really 
unlock the magic in each individual in my team. And, and sometimes that's not particularly pleasant uh, for, for them to get that magic unlocked. But um, like, you know, if it's done from a place of like, like really seeing their potential and supporting them every step of the way and, and loving them dearly, I think it's, uh, it's really important. Um, and then I think, you know, in, especially in the current macro environment, um, I think being able to anticipate the future and be right more often than you're wrong, but also um, really pivot and have the flexibility to adjust your assumptions constantly, revisit your decisions based on any change that's happening in the ecosystem is also really important. I talk all the time to my team about the fact that, you know, flexibility is our competitive advantage, nimbleness is our competitive advantage uh, in a market like that. Um, I even have this practice for myself that I call the assumption tracker, where I track not just my decision, but the assumptions that went into my decision. And I revisit them every month in case something has changed in the environment. And that's a good practice because I think as leaders, uh, given, given how fast things change, we need to constantly question whether there are things that we should change in our mode of operation. And my second question is, what gives you hope for the future? <laughs> uh, I'm an optimist, so, so much gives me hope. I think we live in unprecedented times. And if you look at, um, you know, the advances that we're seeing, uh, especially in your world, in the world of, uh, you know, medicine and biotech, uh, we've barely still scratched the surface of what we can do with genomics. We are embarking on, you know, multiomics. We are seeing what artificial intelligence can do in this field. And so I think we're within reach of being able to really cure or at the very least make all of the diseases of our times manageable. And, um, and I think that's incredibly inspiring and I wouldn't miss it for the world. <laughs> that's wonderful. And, and Fiji, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you for listening to The Minor Consult with me, Stanford School of Medicine, Dean Lloyd Minor. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion with Fiji Simo, CEO of Instacart. Please send your questions by email to theminorconsult at theminorconsult.com. And check out our website, theminorconsult.com, for updates, episodes, and more. To get the latest episodes of The Minor Consult, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate the podcast five stars. Your feedback helps make this podcast happen. Thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to our next episode. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and be kind. <music>